guys, it's Kina. Before we get to this amazing episode, I have an announcement. But first, I have to admit that I accidentally recorded this episode using the microphone in my laptop and not my fancy external microphone. I'm not sure how I pulled that off since I'm a master of technology and all, but I did and I'm really sorry because it was such a good episode and I feel like I ruined it, but hopefully you can get past my weird sounding like I'm a mile away voice and really just take in the epicness that is the podcast plotting through the presidents. I had the best time with them and you're really going to enjoy this episode. But first announcement, Patreon, she, she's getting a makeover and I have added a lot of benefits. So I'm just going to do a quick rundown right now. So for $2, you get a social media shout out. You get episodes of Rave or Rage every month. You'll get a welcome letter from me. You get access to Facebook and our Discord channel. Every year you're going to get a birthday card. You will know everything first. There are some things happening right now that only the Patreon know, and it's amazing. You will also get to watch all the episodes live. It will stream directly to the Facebook group, and it will have a chat box so you can actually talk to me and our guests. You get to vote on all the themes, and you'll get discounts on my Etsy shop, which is a lot of booze glasses. For $5, you get everything I just mentioned, plus you get to co-host a mini gab episode. You will get an on-air shout-out. You will get access to the monthly drunk dive, and you'll get a sticker pack that has at least 15 stickers in it. For $10, you get everything that I just mentioned in both tiers, plus a postcard from me. I usually get the biggest Texas postcard I can come up with, and I doodle a lot of aliens screaming that they didn't build pyramids. And my goal is that every person in the post office that has to handle the postcard looks at it and says, what the fuck is happening? You also get to choose a story for one of our themes. You get to choose a random word or probably several because once I've gotten through everybody in that tier, we just start over and you'll get a koozie. So for $15, you get everything in the previous tiers. Plus you get a coffee mug or a mason jar and you'll get a birthday gift from me. And finally, the $20 tier, you get a tote bag with your choice of design. And you're also going to get a quarterly t-shirt. It'll be a limited edition design that nobody can get on any of the stores and you'll get four a year. And if by chance you just get so many t-shirts, you're like, Kina, I just can't do anymore. You can pay it forward. You can choose somebody and I can send it to them. And of course, with all of these, you get my eternal gratitude and ever dying love. <laughs> all right, guys, if you want to join Patreon, go to patreon.com slash historical AF pod right now. All right. Now enjoy this episode. Welcome, Gigawater Gang, to Historical AF. I'm Keenan. I'm Howard. And I'm Jess. We are a historian and some special guests delivering you the weird and historical nuggets you never knew you needed in your ear holes. This is episode 74, and I am joined by plotting through the presidents for Presidents Part 1! We're so excited to be here. Thanks so much for having us. You're so welcome. This is the perfect time to have you. We're, we're getting ready for an election. What? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you've heard of it. 
I've been avoiding the news. I don't know. I've got the numb feeling down really well. Like it's it's like I'm an expert at numb right now. (laughs) I think we all are. It's 2020 plus this. Oh, it's too much. Yeah, worst year ever. That's not enough sedatives in the world for all this. (laughs) Yeah, this wine isn't cutting it. You know, not at all. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it just gives us an opportunity to be like vote, vote, register, vote. So tell everybody a little bit about your podcast. Yeah, sure. So I started out uh, doing a blog in about 2013. First of all, I had the idea, I'm going to read a biography of every president in order. You know, I didn't know that much about American history, and I wanted to know more. So that's what I decided to do. And along the way, I'm like, you know what, I'm not retaining anything. I'll read a book and I'll be like, oh, these are such cool facts to share. And then they're gone. (laughs) And I decided if I force myself to write about what I'm reading, then maybe I'll remember some of it and it will have some value. And so I started blogging. And then uh, last year, I decided to start podcasts to share some of those stories and some other ones. And uh, my awesome wife, Jess, joins me on the podcast. And we have a great time just looking at lesser known stories about usually the early American presidents and just examining their lives, the lives of the founders and their families and doing it with a really kind of just irreverent style that, that has fun with the history, but is really looking at the primary sources and trying to get the facts behind the stories. Oh, you had me at primary sources. Oh, big fan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I really do enjoy your podcast, especially there's got to be some humor in history. I know some people like the dry stuff, but not me. I'm too ADD for that. So I need a little <laughs> a little humor and a little levity and uh, facts that are fun that you can remember. That's, Absolutely. That's yeah. No, that's the best because you think about like truth is stranger than fiction. And when you look back at stuff that happened and you're like, I can't believe this is real. But the fact that it is real makes it that much more just ridiculous. And and that's so much fun to share with people. Oh, absolutely. I think also having that witty, funny aspect is what helps people to learn it. You know, Mm -hmm. I didn't really start listening or learning until I was laughing about it. So that's my favorite. There's a book I have. It's over here. It's like a hundred things in history you've never heard of. There's just the dumbest stuff. And I'm like, this is why people need to know. Cause it always nice. breaks my heart like a dagger. And people are like, I hate history. It's my least <laughs> favorite thing ever. And I'm like, well, obviously you're not reading the right stuff. So <laughs> thank God for podcasts. <laughs> <Absolutely. Right. laughs> and you guys said that you like early American. Is that your favorite or do you have a yeah. favorite? No, definitely. I didn't I didn't necessarily start out thinking that would happen, but I started reading a biography of each president in order and I just kind of fell in love with the founding era and the Federalist period and I haven't really wanted to get past that because there's so much to dig into. So I'm really staying focused on usually around the first seven presidents. I really enjoy digging into those and that's what the podcast is focused on so far and I'll be branching out a little bit, but yeah, I'm in no hurry to get to the post-Lincoln period for sure. Yeah, it gets kind of wild once you get later in there. Yeah. So how does Hamilton fit into all this? Oh, um, musical. Don't you find that people are more interested now? Because they're like, oh, I really like that musical. So now I want to hear more. 100%. I think there are some people that are like, oh, all these Hamilton fans, they don't understand real history and they suck and they're, they're trudging on our ground. No, real historians for the most part. And me, who's not a real historian, but aspires to be a history enthusiast, um, sharing what they say, they're all hearing from people saying, hey, I watched Hamilton. Now I want to know like the truth. Mm-hmm. So they, they want to dig into the history behind it. It is it's been a boon for American history, for the Constitution, 
um, all the young people who are interested in and where we came from and the truth and what was changed. So I think Hamilton has been great. I started doing the blog before Hamilton and I noticed some things like really took off, like especially things about like John Adams and Thomas Jefferson that kind of touched on Hamilton. And he was just, he was so ingrained with the first five, even six presidents. Like there's nobody that had a more intimate relationship with them, except maybe Lafayette, except they all liked Lafayette. Um, (laughs) Hamilton, Washington liked him and that was about it. so yeah, it's, I think the musical has been great for history in general. Nice. Absolutely, I, I concur. <laughs> yeah, and I, I see a lot of some historians writing all those articles about how it, he's you know twisting history and it's not accurate. I'm like, if somebody's interested in history because they saw a musical, then let let it happen. Just leave right. it alone. Don't don't shit on everything, please. Exactly. <laughs> and it, it doesn't claim to be accurate. There's enough stuff out there articles being written by different websites that claim to be accurate and totally aren't Hamilton's a musical. Like he'll, when Manuel Miranda comes right out and says that there are things to change for artistic purposes and that he thinks it should be open to criticism. That's fine. That's, that's totally okay. Anybody who has a problem with that, I mean, let them write their article and get their contrarian clickbait clicks, but whatever. Yeah. Some people take it too seriously. (laughs) <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, if you want to experience history in that way, I don't think there should be any judgment on how one experiences or loves history. And it's a musical and it's entertainment inspired by a real story. Not necessarily everything is accurate and that's okay. I know that we've seen it a few times and ju- I mean, just how he expresses the characters and, you know, their arcs. And the emotionality of it, I, it just got me so into that time period, too. So mm-hmm. it's, I think that's fair. It's yeah. fair enough. <laughs> and I won't lie, there is a Hamilton quote in my story. <laughs> oh, <what a> <laughs> I figured out a weasel kipple in there. <laughs> More power to you. <laughs> well, that's it. you guys want to jump on into it? You guys want to go first? Yeah, absolutely. I'm so excited. All right, so... <laughs> The category that we had was weird, but truly this story could be spooky or macabre. And it's actually about a little, it's about a general. So there's a lot of categories it could fit into, but we're just going to go with weird. I'm going to talk about Andrew Jackson and how he was pretty much a real life horror movie monster. (laughs) Like, like Michael Myers or Jason Voorhees. That was Andrew Jackson, except worse because he was real. That's the most amazing description I've ever heard of Andrew Jackson. (laughs) It, totally accurate. Horror movie. Yeah. Yeah. Awful. First off, I want to just get this out of the way. I mean, he, okay, he was a horror movie monster. In many ways, he was also a real monster in awful slave owning, genocidal Indian removal act ways. Those are real things that deserve, he deserves to be criticized for those. Yeah. Absolutely. He was real and racist, you know? So, oh, yeah. yeah. Especially yeah. terrifying. It doesn't get much worse in a lot of ways. But I don't think that that means he can't be examined in other ways because there are ridiculous other real things about him that are fun to dig into. So I know I see a lot of people that are like, Oh, I can't read anything about Andrew Jackson. I can't, he was terrible. He's the worst. And it's like, yes, not disagreeing, but also, (laughs) did you know he was a horror movie monster? Like there's a, there's a fine line there. Mm -hmm. So we're going to start out with what every good horror monster, horror movie monster, good wine, what every good horror movie monster needs uh, is an origin story. Mm. So the Revolutionary War. 
So it came, and even though Andrew Jackson was only about 10 years old, he decided, you know what, I want a piece of that action. So he became like a little messenger boy for the Continental Army. He was this kid from like North or South Carolina. We, we don't know where, somewhere on the border. Everybody claims him. He got captured by the British when he was young. And as the story goes, a British officer asked him to shine his shoes and Jackson just straight up refused. So the officer took his sword and swung it at Jackson's head and little Andrew Jackson stopped it with his hand and he still, he got a scar on his head and his hand that he kept for the rest of his life. And that was just the first time that Andrew Jackson's body became a physical repository for hate. The hate coming from the world and the hate coming from his angry, angry soul. Wow, that does sound very Hollywood. Yeah, here's this little boy that learned to hate at a young age. And then the Revolutionary War, like it didn't stop there. It took everything from him. His oldest brother died after one battle of heat exhaustion. Um, Another brother was a POW with him. And they both got smallpox, but his brother actually died from it. And then his mother... She was a nurse on a boat full of POWs taking care of all these soldiers, and she got cholera and died. And his father had died before he was even born. So he lost his entire family, basically, his remaining family in the Revolutionary War. So at 14 years old, he had a physical scar. His heart was gutted and just replaced with an unrelenting hate of the British and of their allies, the Native American. Oh, Lord. Yeah, that, that, it's got morbid fast. <laughs> right? Death, 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 death. <laughs> but not for Andrew Jackson. <laughs> no. no. You keep, you keep unkillable is the thing. And that, that's, that's the whole point of this is that everyone will die around him, some at his own hand. But they couldn't get him. <laughs> so eventually he got out of North or South Carolina and he moved to Tennessee. And at one point he became a judge. And that's what a lot of people don't realize this about Andrew Jackson. Like he, some people might compare him to the current president in terms of this populist who came out of nowhere. No, no, Jackson was a lawyer. He was a member of the House of Representatives. He was a senator. He was a justice on the Tennessee Supreme Court and he was a general. So on paper, he was super qualified to be in politics. He had a life full of public service. Doesn't mean he was a good guy. Just means, you know. What? (laughs) I am shocked. (laughs) But even as a judge, he was terrifying. (laughs) So he was presiding over a trial one time of this like maniac of a guy, this violent child mutilator named Russell Bean. That name's not that scary, but he himself. Disturbing though. (laughs) It's a little bit disturbing. Yes. So during the trial, this, this scary ass dude, Mr. Bean, all right, he, <laughs> he, storms, he storms out of the courtroom and he, somehow he gets a weapon in the process. And the sheriff and his posse, they couldn't get him back. So Jackson's up there on the stand and he's basically like, do I have to do everything myself? So Jackson adjourned the court for 10 minutes and he strolled outside with a pistol in each hand and he ordered this guy to surrender. And he did. Mr. Bean was like, all right, let's go back. And then, wow. yeah, yeah, he's like, he's basically, he, he's Michael Myers, Jason Voorhees, and the Terminator, all in one. He's, <laughs> <laughs> when they asked him, why did you surrender 
to Jackson and, and nobody else. The guy said, when he came up, I looked him in the eye and I saw a shoot. And there wasn't shoot and nary other eye in the crowd. Is he was not- prepared to kill, basically. He could Absolutely. tell he was prepared to kill him. Is that not the best description of Andrew Jackson ever? He had shoot in his eyes. Wow. Yeah, the guy could tell just by looking at him that he was capable of murder. God, he's as terrifying as I imagined he would be. <laughs> Seriously, when I, like, I've read a lot of Stephen King mm-hmm. and, like, other horror. I've never felt like one of those characters was going to jump out of the book and punch me in the face like I did when I was reading the biography of Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> that's, okay, that's maybe not completely fair because he wasn't, he wasn't all hate. There was a soft spot in his heart for the love of his life, Rachel. To him, Rachel was like the most pious, pure thing on earth. But unfortunately, she was married when they met. To an abusive man named Louis Robards. And this Louis guy, like he had a bad temper and then he just up and left her. I think he left the state, presumably for good. And then he came back like a year or so later. It was a really bad situation for Rachel. She was kind of trapped. Jackson helped her get out physically of the state. And then she married him. But the thing is, the marriage wasn't technically legal, but it's not her fault. Like back then, I guess it took, it literally took an act of the state legislature for someone to be divorced. Like you didn't just go to a lawyer. You had to go to the state and appeal. And so her divorce wasn't finalized, but that's not her fault. But at the same time, Jackson's enemies throughout the years like to bring that up. They like to question her honor. And that's how we get the first real taste of just how hard it was to kill Andrew Jackson. (laughs) That's where we get to a duel. Ooh, yes. Love a good duel. (laughs) I don't want to pop your bubble. Um, (laughs) But no, that's, I I love doing that actually when it comes to history. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Don't lie. (laughs) So you'll see all over the internet that Andrew Jackson got into hundreds of duels. It's, it's everywhere that fact, but it's not a fact. He got in like, Maybe two, two and a half duels ever. But oh. he probably he probably challenged people to a lot more. But after the first one, you'll see most of those people were going to back out. <laughs> oh, yeah, two doesn't sound as impressive. I can no, see why people would exaggerate it. Author Mark Cheatham like talks about Andrew Jackson and duels, and he said that he says Jackson really only got into two and a half duels, and I'm like. That's- <laughs> It's science, I guess. That's, you know. <laughs> I wonder what that half duel looked like. What does a half duel look like? Think, you I take the we'll... marches, but then you don't turn and shoot. Like what? I run away. <laughs> yeah, running away. <laughs> that that would be me. I think I'd be in a half duel if I was. Oh, me too. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I, we've been in half duels. You and me, I think. We've yeah, been. Probably. Yeah, probably been in counts. a full duel, actually. That's impossible. <laughs> yeah. In 1806, Jackson gets into it with this guy, Charles Dickinson. Not Charles Dickens, which would be awesome. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I read that somewhere. Somebody like had a typo, and I'm like, oh, that's, this is going to be the best story ever. No, no, unfortunately. Bad typo. Yeah. So it, it started over a horse racing bet, I guess, which makes sense. Like, if I've never bet on horses, but I imagine it's very volatile. And yeah, you probably need a gun on you and if you're going to do it. I don't know. Um, <laughs> But Dickinson called Jackson a worthless scoundrel and a poltroon and a coward in the newspaper. Oh, and burn. Those were fighting words. There's, there's maybe only one thing you could call somebody that was worse back then. Any any guesses? 
Oh. Visionary? <laughs> from what I've learned from you? Yeah. Uh, all I can think of is a spoiler for my story, so I don't want to say it. <laughs> oh, no, I hope I don't spoil it. No, I don't think you will. It's something different, but it's a lot of name calling. <laughs> um, all right, you'll have to let me know if I spoil it. I'm sorry. A puppy. Oh, no, you did not spoil Okay. <laughs> if you call the man a puppy, you, you better get ready to pick your weapons. Wow, but they're so cute. They are, but to call a man a puppy apparently was just like the worst insult. It's almost saying like, you're too cowardly to fight me. What are you going to do? And it's like, uh, fight you? Like, (laughs) I don't know what you That's why people died. Um, (laughs) Somewhere along the way, Dickinson also might have insulted Rachel's honor. And Mm. that's just one more reason for open season in Jackson's mind. So the duel was on. So in the duel, okay, the referee or whoever, I don't know how duels work exactly, um, he yelled, fire! And Dickinson shot Jackson square in the chest. So Andrew Jackson is shot where, like, a bullet should kill you. And Jackson just stood there. Like Jason Voorhees. He just took it. This is what monsters are made out of. And then, so by duel rules, that means, okay... Everybody take a moment. Now it's Jackson's turn to shoot. Dickinson, get back on your mark and wait for it. <laughs> Can you imagine being more terrified? Like you just shot a guy and he's standing there and now it's his turn to shoot you? Oh, and he's cool. so pissed. <laughs> That's where I, the half duel comes in. <laughs> yeah, I'd be like, you know what? I, I am a puppy. Done. I'm sorry. I'm out. Call me whatever you want. <laughs> But Jackson, teeth clenched, he just raises his right arm straight out, fires one shot, and that single shot blows a hole straight through Dickinson's abdomen, and he bleeds to death. Holy crap. Yeah. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) So that's why you don't want to duel Andrew Jackson. That's traumatic. Yeah. He doesn't die. (laughs) He didn't die, no. But that bullet stayed inside his abdomen his entire life. Probably just like nourishing his dark soul with more hate <laughs> and, and lead, probably too. It was no good. <laughs> wow, he's like absorbing all the all the negative things. And yes, it's like Black Panther suit, except it doesn't like dispel. It just takes in the hate. Yeah. That makes me sad. Yeah, R.I.P. Chadwick. We can have a drink. A cheers to Chadwick. Cheers. So seven years after this duel, Andrew Jackson gets into another brawl. That's basically like a gunfight with some hooligans. And maybe this was the half duel because like there wasn't an official 10 steps. I don't know. But Jackson's Jackson gets shot twice and he survives sort of. He was, he was taken to a bed and his blood soaked through two mattresses before they could stop the hemorrhaging. Oh my God. That's a lot of blood. It is. They probably weren't like Tempur-Pedic or pillow top back then, but (laughs) still it's straw. Yeah. But that's more blood than, than a human being should lose, right? Like, that's not yeah. cool. I'm um, not a doctor, but no, that's not cool. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't but, seem cool. I just imagine Jackson's body there just like waiting to like regenerate into some more hateful form, like for two days as they just keep replacing mattresses. And then he just probably opens his eyes and says, I want some more, you know. (laughs) So one of the bullets from that fight, it became lodged in Jackson's arm. And for months, 
I'm sorry, is grossed one of the categories on your show? Sure, <laughs> yes. All right, we're about to do it. Um, <laughs> from for months, little pieces of bone would come out of Jackson's arm. What? That's worse, so I think. He's uh, yeah. It's not good. Oh, it's not good. please tell me somebody has those bone fragments in a jar somewhere. Well, he didn't throw them away. Honey, you should ask. <laughs> he was not fighting in the War of 1812 at this point, and he would send those little pieces of bone to Rachel. Oh, how romantic. Yeah, right? that's love, right? Yeah. Uh, I keep asking Howard for his bones, but he won't yeah. them over. I mean, my husband's been in a war zone, but if he starts to make bones home, I don't know how I respond to that. I don't, I don't think you can send those in the mail now. I don't know, but back then, I guess. You can do chickens, but not bones. You can mail baby chicks. Mail baby chicks, you can mail. Yeah. But, I don't but know not bones. Can, probably not arm bones. Yeah. Leg bones are okay. Yeah. Like, yeah. Chicken bones, if if something goes wrong in transit with the poor babes, um, oh, they're fine. They're probably Wait, fine. Cheers to the chickens. Cheers to the chickens. Cheers yeah. to the chickens. Chicken. But she would take those little pieces and grow tiny little Andrew. Je- no, that's not true. That's very. <laughs> oh, that would be a plot twist. That would be. Okay, so flash forward. This bullet-riddled, bloodless Andrew Jackson. He eventually becomes president of the United States. After after eating a lot of people. I love okay, that, that we haven't even gotten to the presidency yet. Like, oh, no. <laughs> no. So, I mean, okay. There were rumors of cannibalism, but they're probably not true. Oh, we love a good cannibalism on this show. <laughs> All right. Well, there were some anti-Jackson campaign pamphlets that accused him of cannibalism and said that he ate um, not only Native Americans, but also soldiers. And they basically said that if you elect this guy, he's going to get angry and eat his entire cabinet. <laughs> and Jess, you and I, we talked about this in our most recent episode about the petticoat affair. That's basically what happened without the actual, like, chewing. <laughs> so anyway, cannibalism, probably not true. I haven't dug into it, you know, but we'll say unsubstantiated rumors. <laughs> But by the time Jackson was pregnant, he was extremely sick most of the time. He was thin, weak in bed, in agony. He was basically just like a sack of bullet-riddled bones held together by vengeance. And you can imagine this guy had a lot of enemies. Mm -hmm. So President Jackson, he's walking around one day after a funeral, probably somebody he killed. I don't know. Um, (laughs) And this man confronts him and shoots a pistol straight at his heart. Everybody, yeah, yeah, like you do. Everybody heard the shot, but there was no bullet. So Jackson starts beating this would-be assassin with his cane, and the guy, while he's getting caned by Jackson, somehow pulls out a second gun and shoots at Jackson again, this time at point-blank range. The second gun also failed. What are the chances? Apparently, both guns were examined later, and they were working. So, I mean, the only explanation is that Jackson was some kind of supernatural monster who could stop bullets. Yes, or a deal wow. with the devil. I've been watching a lot of Lucifer lately. That's what that thought <laughs> That makes a lot of sense. I've got, there are pictures of Andrew Jackson that if you put them next to, like, the Hammer films, like Dracula, mm-hmm. like, they, they're a, they got the red cape. They got, it's, Pretty yeah. similar. Same wow. dude. He's Dracula, he's Jason, he's Michael Myers, he's Terminator, Robocop. 
that's Andrew Jackson. I think most of our mythos is based on him. <laughs> I can't back that up. <laughs> but eventually, even unkillable monsters have to die. Mm-hmm. So at 78 years old, after years of poor health, his doctor pronounced him dead in his armchair. His family prayed over him one last time. They moved his body back to his bed and he sprang back to life. Oh, I, oh, I knew yeah. it. I knew it was me too. I know. Sure. I was getting a comforting feeling, which I know I should never get when you're telling me. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I had a feeling I shouldn't, you know, feel vulnerable and I let it happen. And then here he came back. Yeah. <laughs> I'll get you. Yep. But that was Jackson, just like a killer in the final act. They were sure he was dead and he was not done with them. He came back to say his goodbyes. And Wait, his was life- Rachel around still at this point? No, no. She never even made it to his presidency. Oh. Um, yeah, because she died apparently after hearing about the terrible things people were saying about her during the, cam- the campaign oh, of 1828. Yeah, so she went to town to, heart. Went to town to pick out a dress for his inauguration, and that's where she heard these rumors. And apparently, her heart, which was already bad, um, she she died within days, and she ended up being buried in that dress she chose for his inauguration. Well, that's just tragic. Yeah. Oh, poor um, baby Rachel. So, <laughs> so she was not there to see him spring back to life, but his last words apparently were, do not cry, be good children, and we will all meet in heaven. And that might sound nice, but coming from Jackson, I think it sounds a little like a threat. I was going to say that. It's like, that's cute. He's going to heaven. Yeah. Like, I feel like, I'll see you in hell. But this is like, you know, even if you go to heaven, I'm following you. Like, I'm knocking down the early gate. Oh, my God. Yeah. Wow. You know, I will kill you with your own harp string or halo. <laughs> There's no escaping Andrew Jackson. No. Um, he's got shooting his eyes. What uh, a wild story. Good Lord. How have was, they not made a horror movie out of him yet? That's, I don't know how they've not made a horror movie. I know that HBO was going to be making a miniseries, kind of like John Adams, about mm-hmm. Andrew Jackson. I think Sean Penn was set to play him. But there were some disagreements about how to portray the darker aspects of his character, mm-hmm. which makes sense. Like, he's not like j- this John Adams type of figure. There's a lot of, you know, bad. So I, I don't know. Controversial, to say the least. Yeah. yeah. I don't know how you manage to do something like that now, but he was, um, for all of his, all the terrible things about him, he was certainly fascinating. And there's a lot of stories in there. And he, uh, yeah, he's, he was a character. Mm, yeah. <laughs> a horror uh, movie character. Horror movie. Yeah, I was actually really shocked when Trump put his bust, or was it portrait or a bust in, his, in the Oval it's Office? I was like, yeah, I was like, well, that's a choice. <laughs> like, yeah. I, love the <laughs> I wrote. I, I wrote about this story a few years ago on my blog, and I, I mentioned I had a, a picture of Trump with with um, Jackson's portrait in the background. And I compared it to Ghostbusters 2, where we're like Vigo the Carpathian is like influencing people from beyond through his oh. painting. So I don't yeah. know if Jackson's done with this yet. Yeah, that makes so much more sense than anything that's happening right now. Why not, be, right? That might even be more satisfying. I <laughs> think it would be. Trump being 
said it might be yeah, <laughs> being okay. alive by Andrew Jackson. If we just move that painting, we're all going to be fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think we've cracked the case. <laughs> <laughs> Done. Good Lord. Yeah, I, I knew he was a monster, but I guess I never really dove into his history as much. I didn't know any of that. I'm so glad I could share that with you because now, yeah. like, when you're, you know, lights out tonight, you're going to be. We <laughs> thought your house wasn't haunted. <laughs> like, you say his name like Beetlejuice, he appears. Yeah. <laughs> <Candyman>. <laughs> yeah, what, a, what a crazy. He must have been some kind of sociopath. And I can't imagine the bullets in his body helped his brain functioning. I mean, that's all I have to say. Sure. And losing all that blood, too, can't be great for the old brain. (laughs) Right. I mean, they bled people back then in general. Like, if you were, you have a cold, oh, let's just take some of your blood out. See if that helps. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I can't imagine that. Uh, I don't know what he, he wasn't. I don't think he subsisted on blood. I think it was like just just feelings of anger and hatred and, and retribution that, that made him function. Yeah. I mean, medicine wasn't so great because it'd be like, oh, do some cocaine about it. You got some spirits in your blood or something. Right. <laughs> yeah, I heard some leeches. Yeah. I mean, he was probably smart to leave the bullets where they were. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, you look at like Garfield when he was shot, like the, the doctors are like, hey, let's just. Let's just see how many hands we can get in there, and somebody's oh, bound yeah. to find it. Yeah, so many fingers, so many fingers. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get historical. But first, let's hear a word from our sponsor. Does anybody else find it odd that we spend most of our lives trying not to get pregnant? So when the time comes, when you're ready to start considering it, we have no idea how difficult it really is. On average, one in eight couples in the United States have been affected by infertility. That's about 1.6 million people. So I wanted to kind of get an idea of where I was at as far as possibly having a child down the road. So I did modern fertility and it was amazing. It tells you on average about how many eggs you have. It also kind of gives you an idea what to expect if you're looking into IVF or egg freezing. It gives you your hormone levels that relate to PCOS, which is one of the main reasons for infertility, because one in 10 women have it, including me. I was able to print out my results and hand it to my doctor, and I got a PCOS diagnosis because I did this test, and that has changed a lot. It is really helping me get my health on track, They ran some tests that other doctors didn't and didn't catch this. So I owe a lot to Modern Fertility and I hope that it can help you too. And you also get information on your general hormone health like your thyroid. And the best part of this is that you get to do this test at home. You don't even have to wear pants. It is fantastic. It was just really great. I know that if you go to a doctor, it can cost up to like $1,500 to do this on your own. And this test is just $159. I got the results back in less than 10 days. So I highly recommend it. If you are a uterus haver wanting to know where you stand with your fertility or your general health, check out Modern Fertility. And if you use our code at www.modernfertility.com slash historical AF, you'll get $10 off today. So that's www.modernfertility.com slash historical AF. Again, that is www.modernfertility.com slash historical AF. So I do in general history this time, and it's actually kind of somewhat related. We've talked about some of these characters. 
All right. I figure since it's a general election year and things are getting heated, why not talk about the birth of negative campaigning in the United uh, States? Yes. <laughs> oh, man. It's spoiler. It didn't take very long. It's 24 years if you're counting before things got dirty. So this is the election of 1800. All right. Wow. It gets weird. <laughs> Are you going to rap a little bit? Because that would be awesome. I wish I could rap. <laughs> and I'm a hillbilly on top of it. So it's just not going to work. <laughs> I would bust out with a few raps sometimes, or else he, you know, I don't know if I call them raps, but you definitely jingle. You definitely <laughs> do jingles. I jingle. Well, that, I talked to my doctor about that, and he said that's normal for that sound. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm, <laughs> the bad jokes are just starting. I can't. I'm, <laughs> no, I love them. <laughs> so, year 1800, and before this, old George Washington had warned that political parties would be damaging to American society and they needed to be avoided. In fact, he claimed that partisanship would lead to interpolitical conflict, divide the nation, and give rise to tyranny. Jesus Christ, George boy, you were psychic. (laughs) Debbie Downer, come on, George. (laughs) I know, that's what I was writing about. I was like, oh dear. Things aren't looking so great. But even the father of a country can't avoid being ignored by his annoying children, a.k.a. the government officials. They're like, we don't care. We're doing it anyway. So disagreements about how the United States should govern began immediately after the revolution. But these disagreements escalated very quickly in the 1790s. And boom, just like that, we have the first two distinct political groups. We have the Federalists led by Alexander Hamilton, not throwing away his shot. (laughs) (laughs) And the Anti-Federalists, a.k.a. the Democratic Republicans led by Thomas Jefferson. Ooh, fuck that guy. <laughs> uh, we do have a fuck you list on this podcast. So if you ever want to add somebody to it, we will add to it. Yeah. Andrew, sure Jackson be on it. <laughs> Andrew Jackson is on it. Oh, for <laughs> he, sure. He's I up there. Yeah, he's up there with Columbus. I have a lot of a lot of grievances <laughs> with Columbus. Yeah. yeah. He did not uh, he did not even discover Ohio. I don't know if you knew that. Like he, this guy's just bored. It. No. Totally no. fraudulent. <laughs> and just a very simplified rundown of what these parties are because I don't want to be here all night and I'm sure you don't either. So, Federalists <laughs> were here all night. <laughs> so the Federalists were committed to fiscally sound and nationalistic governments. They favored a national bank, which the article I was reading said a national band. And I was like, I don't think that's right. <laughs> like with Dick Clark, like American Bandstand? Yeah. I knew he was old, but. <laughs> that would make a lot of sense. <laughs> they believed in like tariffs and good relations with Britain, a.k.a. the Jay Treaty. They supported implied powers and they argued the adoption of the interpretation of the Constitution to back that up. They had more conservative views and they were composed of the elite classes. And they viewed the Constitutional as kind of adaptable, like that it could evolve. And then you have the Democratic Republicans that denounced most of everything the Federalists said, including the banks and the implied powers. They were committed to the rights of the states and they wanted more rights for farmers and principles of republicanism. So liberty and inalienable rights. These are hard words to say. Oh, words are hard. (laughs) Words are hard. So opposed to the Jay Treaty, they wanted good relations with 
France not Britain, and they opposed the ideas for national bank or implied powers. And they thought that the Constitution shouldn't be messed with, that it was set in stone, this is how we made it, don't change anything. So those are kind of the very simplified differences between the two. Mm-hmm. Nice. And then a small historical detour here. Political parties could be a whole episode, so I'm really simplifying it here. But just so like context, if you're wondering what this party has to do with our party today. So the second political party group happened after the Federalists died out and the Democratic Republicans were in power. And then it turned into a two-in-one party that was kind of imploding because they had internal disagreements like slavery. You know, that's a biggie. And so after that, it kind of separated into two different parties. Then you had the third party system. And that was a time of extreme industrial and economic expansion. The Democrats were supported by Southern social conservatives in rural areas. areas, And they didn't want slavery to end because they were in the South. That's where all their money was. And then the Northern Republicans were embraced by Northern progressive liberals who strived to end slavery once for all. And then you had the fourth party system that's defined by the progressive era and immigration. After Reconstruction came the Gilded Age, and both parties embraced progressive ideals. And then you got Teddy Roosevelt, and then he left the Republican Party, leading the way for many progressive Republicans. And then the Democratic Party became increasingly progressive as the Republican platform started to become more conservative. So this is that switch people talk about. Yeah. So everybody's like, Republicans, we're the party of Lincoln. Well, not necessarily. There's a switch. <laughs> <laughs> Complete ideological switch. So with the rise of media, the events of world wars, the income taxes, voting rights, and all these things with modern states happening, there was major changes in social climates. Then the fifth party system, kickstarted by the Great Depression, FDR made up the New Deal coalitions, which consisted of new social welfare programs, and it changed it once again. Many African-Americans made a switch here. They had previously been Republican, but now they're turning to Democrats. And then you have the six-party system, which appears around the time of the Civil Rights Act of 1964. And the Democrats officially lost their long-term dominance with the voters. And then they started to attract more people of color and urban progressives. And it was seen more, this time, Democrats were kind of appealing to large cities. So even today, like I'm in Texas, the larger cities are more likely to go Democrat. And all the rural are going to be Republican. Some historians are actually arguing that we are in the midst of a seventh party system now, that things are starting to change. I can kind of see that because people are wanting to get a little bit more progressive. Yeah. At what point did the Republican Party start thinking soldiers were suckers? Was that was that in the seventh party system? I have a lot of rage. I went on a 10 tweet thread yesterday about that. That's a lot of tweets. Yeah, it was a lot of tweets, but it was mostly because people are just how to fact check and people are like you can't trust that news source because it's the guardian and oh i just went on a rampage i'm like no fact check yeah i mean but if it was on video then the answer would be uh, clearly it was sarcasm yeah he didn't mean that he was joking (laughs) no it's yeah somebody was calling me a liberal snowflake and i'm like snowflakes are awesome i don't know why that's supposed to be yeah. <laughs> and why are we name calling in the first yeah. place and it just makes it so school <laughs> but it's like somebody that obviously doesn't have anybody in the military and my family's been in the military since the revolutionary war and wow. I, I have a spouse and i'm like you've never stared at your fitbit to make sure your husband's walking in afghanistan so i'm like don't talk yeah. to me oh, man. Uh, being upset but yeah that's unforgettable yeah. in my uh 
I can't think of anything worse than insulting troops <laughs> to yeah. show your anti-patriotism. Yeah, and I think our current climate really shows that there has to be a change because Biden's platform really aligns for like 1970s Republican, if you really yeah. really get down to it. So I, I think him, people call him super progressive. I'm like he's really not. He's actually more Republican from more the old idea. Yeah. yeah. And whatever Trump's doing is not on the board. So I don't know. It's, I don't it's know a hell of a time for historians. Yeah. yeah <laughs> oh, for sure. No, no, there could I be know. a book a day. A book a day. Pick a day. Yeah. <laughs> that's also on TikTok. People pretending to be teachers being like, open up your book. And it's like chapter one. <laughs> the Australian fires. And they're like, next paragraph. And you're like, what? We <laughs> 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 got a lot to cover here. <laughs> Just yes. Going. And uh, a lot of things I saw were like, you can argue the controversy of these like, different platforms and such. And they're like, but everything is based on facts, which I love. The historians don't have to put that. Like, you can't argue with us because we've literally looked at all the data. But yeah. anybody's like, this isn't the platforms. Yes, it is because they're looking at voter maps. and. But it doesn't things. feel right in my heart. So it can't be true. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's definitely complex and it's all part of American history, but all these changes should be taken into consideration. So, especially oh, with like. Sure. Yeah, great rundown through the through the party systems. Oh, I didn't realize are. we were on like six or seven now. Like, yeah, I, I, I either. Yeah. My I'm, my TiVo's behind. I'm still in like the second <laughs> party system. So there were some spoilers there, but I appreciate it. Yeah, and I, I do think that things are changing. I know that the younger generations, like I'm an elder millennial, but I know a lot of the younger millennials are fighting for like a new third party. And America's never done well with the third party. It's never no. been a major ticket thing. So I don't know if that's ever going to be a thing, but I'm hoping that at least the Democrats can kind of Right. And I feel like the true true Republicans have been lost, too, at this Mm -hmm. point. You know, I know I have some Republicans in my family who are conservative, but reasonable people, and (laughs) they don't have a party anymore. So, I mean, where does where do the you know, where do those people lie? Yeah. And Republicans always been more fiscally conservative and stuff. And I get what Mm -hmm. their original ideals were, at least, you know, when I started voting there were two distinct, but now I think everybody's all over the place. And right. We don't know yeah. where we're at. <laughs> I mean, back so. the Republicans used to have Schwarzenegger as like governor in California. It was, it was a different time. Yeah. And now he's saving polling places. Apparently. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm very confused. <laughs> yeah. I'm, every day is something new and I don't know what's happening anymore. <laughs> it's very, it's very <laughs> confusing, but let's go back to 1800. Something that does make sense. (laughs) So in one corner, we have John Adams. He was a lawyer, a political activist prior to the revolution. He was the Massachusetts delegate for the Continental Congress, and he became a founding father and helped draft the Declaration of Independence. So no big deal. And then he became Papa George's vice president and the second president of the United States. And by 1800, he was seeking a second term as the Federalist nominee. In the opposing corner, we have Thomas Jefferson. Tommy mm-hmm. Boy was a diplomat, lawyer, architect, and philosopher. I'm sure that's how he introduced himself. <laughs> yes. I don't think he liked talking to strangers, so I don't think he... That was on his card, though. He would hand them his card and then hide behind the coat rack. <laughs> I, yes. A thousand percent. 
He was the principal author of the Declaration of Independence. He represented Virginia in the Continental Congress. He served as the second governor of Virginia. He was the minister of France and the secretary of state of George Washington. Then alongside James Madison, he organized the Democratic Republican Party and he used it to run against John Adams. So back in 1776, they were like this dynamic duo and with combined powers helped claim America's independence. So they were like the ultimate bros. They were super tight and they had all this love and respect for each other until Adams became president. Then they started butting heads immediately. And let's just take all this tension and rage and then just put them against each other in a presidential election. And things were great. (laughs) So we're at the election of 1800 and this bromance has turned ugly. It has escalated so quickly. Oh, the headlines. (laughs) So good. (laughs) They wasted no time before this like mudslinging began. So John Adams supporters publicly suggested that TJ was, going to make sure that our wives and daughters were victims of legal prostitution if he became president. So That was true. That was true, though. That was yeah. true. <laughs> In his defense, absolutely, 1,000% yeah. correct. <laughs> the concern was amplified by influential and highly partisan Connecticut newspapers warning that if elected, Jefferson would create a nation that were full of murderers, robberies, rape, adultery, and incest. And that it would all be taught and practiced. Wow. I love the newspapers back then. There was no, like, they didn't pretend to be, like, uh, uh, on all sides. It was just like, we're the newspaper that's going to tell you, fuck that guy. (laughs) And that's, you subscribe because you're like, I agree. That guy needs to be fucked. I'm going to get that newspaper. (laughs) And every week or day or whatever, it would tell you all the things. It was like tweeting, you know, of today. Oh, yeah. I don't think the same amount yeah. of thought went in. It was just like, I'm going to get my aggressions out in this headline and it's gone and it's out there. Yeah. Fact checking, what's that? <laughs> she don't live here. Awesome. <laughs> and then he's also like, all oh, your wives are going to be out here all willy nilly banging everybody if you elect this guy. We can't have that. We're a virtuous country. Yeah, we can't let them vote, but we don't <laughs> want them to be turned into prostitutes. Come on, let's find yeah. some common <laughs> ground. <laughs> And then, of course, not to be outdone by Adams, Jefferson had a few narratives to pitch of his own. And he accused President Adams of having a, quote, hideous, hermaphrodite, oh, God, that's a hard word to say, hermaphroditical character, which has neither the force and firmness of a man, nor the gentleness and sensibility of a woman. Like, like what? Like, Like, are you electing president or are you playing fuck, marry, kill? Like, why does that... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like how okay. is that your first go-to you're a hermaphrodite sir no that's not no and was he also a puppy because i can't vote for a puppy <laughs> oh man and he also said that he was a gross hypocrite and a repulsive ped- pedant i think it's i know it's pedantic pedant Anyway, I looked it up. And then a person who is excessively concerned with minor details and rules or with displaying academic learning, which doesn't seem like a huge insult, but. That reminds me of that magazine, Howard, that you once talked about on our podcast where you talked about this woman being described with like an alien mouth and it was just totally (laughs) irrelevant to anything about the person. I remember something about a kissable mouth. What do I remember? No, no. This was something like a horrific alien mouth. Oh, maybe about Anne Royal. 
Oh yeah, yeah. It did say it that just, she had like yeah, and there was some smear campaign like basically that said like she had yeah. like scary teeth or whatever, and she had this. Yeah, it was just. I mean, that's how you insulted women. I mean, still today for some people, but, but yeah, it was like they're the they're, they're hideous. About gender. Yeah, yeah, totally gender about bias. Gender seemed to seem to hit hard back and then. And you can't you can't insult Adams like you can a woman unless you start out by establishing, hey, he's he's a hermaphrodite, mm-hmm. and then open season you can insult him just like a woman, I guess. I guess. Uh, oh, in returns, Adams. Oh, this is very problematic. So this is a quote. <laughs> this is not me. <laughs> so bad. He called him a mean-spirited, low-lived fellow, the son of a half-breed Indian squaw sired by a Virginian mulatto father. There's so much oh, wrong with man. all of Wait, who, sa- who said that about who? Adams <laughs> to Jefferson. Ouch. Yikes. Yeah, super, super problematic. Like That's complicated all. too. Yeah, there's yeah. a lot of a lot, lot of going on there. A lot. <laughs> I expected more from Adams, honestly. But... Me too. I'm a little surprised. He doesn't I mean, go low like that usually. In his defense, I'm. I mean, Adams did say a lot of shit, but I'm guessing that that was maybe one of his surrogates that like put that forth. And Adams mm. probably wasn't like, no, don't say that. But I don't know. <laughs> I don't. I don't imagine Adams's pen. But you know what? He did say a lot of like kind of racist stuff against Hamilton. So. I wouldn't yeah, put it past them. That's true. I mean, that was the rebuttal to the, hey, Adams, you're a hermaphrodite. So maybe he was just really riled up. <laughs> so the slurs piled on. Adams was labeled as a fool, a hypocrite, a criminal, and a tyrant. While Jefferson was branded as a weakling, an atheist, a libertine, and a coward. Oh. Shots fired. It wasn't Jefferson. Was he a Unitarian? He was it's a, complicated. Or, if Facebook yeah. had a religion thing and it's complicated was like the answer, that would be Jefferson. I don't. I a lot of people say he was a, a full out atheist, but I don't think that's quite true. He he wasn't like full on Christian so much, though, although he gravitated that way. But he didn't really necessarily believe in all the miracles of Jesus. So he was I, I Adams was a Unitarian. I don't think I would say Jefferson was. He he wasn't quite deist. He was, it was complicated. And they all like evolved throughout their lives a little bit though. But one thing you can say about Jefferson, he was all about religious freedom. Mm -hmm. So he wasn't trying to stuff his beliefs down anybody's throat. And he didn't care if you were atheist. He just didn't care about freedom for everybody. That's the problem. <laughs> no, yes. true freedom. No, no. no. Not real yeah. freedom, but religious no, freedom. No. Well, freedom it's... for white men to believe what they wanted to believe. Right. If, right. They, if they owned land, they could do what they wanted with the people on that land. It was, they were terrible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I used to have the Jefferson Bible. He just scribbled out everything that was miraculous. The only thing that was left was things that could have possibly happened. It's It's a trip. But yeah. Wow. <laughs> it's a very small book. <laughs> <laughs> and to the, to me, like that was just something Jefferson did. That was like a project. Mm-hmm. And I don't even know if that necessarily encapsulates all of his views forever. Like he just he you have a lot of free time when you have enslaved people to do everything for you. Yeah. So you can sit around and pick up a book and cross out the parts you don't like and mm-hmm. move on to inventing the swivel chair the next day. Um <laughs> And that's the it's, thing that's true. <laughs> interesting man. And interesting, I found that even Martha Washington kind of came, like, succumbed to this propaganda, telling a clergyman once that Jefferson was, quote, one of the most detestable of mankind that she'd ever known. 
she hated him. <laughs> it's like, but in fairness, in 1799, TJ described her as, quote, rather a weak woman whose resistance to flattery could be attributed to the goodness of her heart, not the strength of her mind. Wow. Why? That's Why the worst thing that? anyone could say to me. <laughs> yeah. It's oh. like Martha Washington, the first lady, and he like walks away and he's basically like, what a bitch. Like, no, who does that? <laughs> Like you're not smart. That'd be the thing that pisses me off. Somebody's like you're definitely weakness of mind. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. Not- call me a hermaphrodite, but don't call me you know, <laughs> <an> intelligent. <laughs> yeah, in a time when education for women wasn't even something that was very universal at all. That's just uh, that's gross. I didn't. I had not run across that quote before. Yeah, I agree. Fuck that guy. And then like presidential candidates didn't actively campaign like they do today. So Adams and Jefferson spent most of the election season at their respective homes in Massachusetts and Virginia. But the key difference between the two politicians is that Jefferson hired a hatchet man named James Callender to do the smearing for him. Love him. We we know that name. (laughs) Adams, on the other hand, considered himself above such tactics. I'm (laughs) above that. No, thanks. Adams Dude, probably didn't want to spend the money to like hire someone. <laughs> I was like, don't you do that. No. <laughs> to Jefferson's credit, calendar proved incredibly effective, convincing many Americans that Adams desperately wanted to attack France. And that's something that Americans did not want to do. And Jefferson won the election. So it was very effective hiring him. Yeah. Media. But Adams did not go down without one last fuck you. <laughs> I'd imagine. Uh, history has given us this amazing image of him just rampaging through all hours of the night in his last days in office, commissioning Federalist Party members as judges throughout the land so that as soon as Jefferson took office, he would just be screwed. It's called yeah. the Midnight Appointments. It could be its own whole episode, so I'm not going to go into it, wow. but I will link some stuff to it in the show notes so you guys can read on it. It's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> and then he did not attend the inauguration. He just rode out of town before anything even happened. So he was just like, fuck this, I'm out. In <laughs> his in his defense, he did not want to be there. <laughs> yeah, I can't that would be very comfortable. <laughs> I mean, there Why wasn't, would that be? There wasn't a whole lot of precedent then for doing that. There'd only been one transition of power. But <laughs> since that happened, I think that Every president, if if they were alive, has been at the inauguration of the next one, except for John Adams and John Quincy Adams. That family was like, we don't need anybody else. <laughs> when you're done, you're done. <laughs> but that was Andrew Jackson, so I don't blame him. Yeah, that's true. It's very true. They did not exchange another word for about a decade. So this was a wow. very heated feud. That's a but long it- time. Yeah, and about four years in after that, TJ's daughter died, and Abigail's like, hey, maybe we should write him a letter and be like, hey, we're sorry your daughter died. And so they did that, and he's <laughs> his response is so crazy. So the first half is like, thank you so much for thinking of me. It means so much to me. And then the second half is like, while I got you here, fuck you <laughs> and your husband. You. <laughs> he couldn't help himself. He was such a dick. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, why are they in the same letter? They could have been two different letters. Like, it's just, and then she's just like, fuck that guy. And then they were done for a while. <laughs> wow. And then the whole thing with Calendar did come back to bite him in the ass. So Calendar served some jail time for slander. Right. <laughs> 
against Adams, obviously. And so when he came out of prison in 1801, he felt that Jefferson still owed him. And then Jefferson was like, nah, I'm good. He ended up writing a story that broke in 1802, but he wrote a whole article about the Sally Hemings issue. Thomas Jefferson is very problematic, but I think all of us know about the whole Sally Hemings thing. So in a series of articles, and there was a lot, he claimed that Jefferson had lived with Hemings in France and that she had given birth to five of his children. And the story plagued Jefferson for the rest of his career. And although generations of historians kind of shrugged off this story as like propaganda, in 1998, DNA testing showed that there was a link between Jefferson and Hemings' descendants. So it proved that it was all true. James Callender, I tell you, like shameless plug, uh, one of our episodes, episode three, uh, it's called The Scandalmonger's Revenge. It's all about James Callender Mm -hmm. and his uh, relationship with Alexander Hamilton, John Adams, Thomas Jefferson. Like this dude, I didn't realize before researching this that Jefferson was like a father figure to him. And he convinced him to stick to journalism just so he could do his dirty deeds. And then he like goes and throws the guy in jail and like doesn't give him what he, yeah, it's the relationship between calendar and he was just, uh, he was this true like democratic Republican guy who fought for his ideals and uh, he got into a lot of trouble for it. And he had a drinking problem. So, I mean, he's just your, your average fascinating (laughs) dude from that time who has a terrible, terrible ending. Mm-hmm. But it did, but it did come back to bite Jefferson. So it yeah. taught, I mean, you would hope that it taught him a lesson. Don't screw over the people who got you there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, got, you very... gotta feed your attack dog. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> I just find it interesting because a lot of times there's not a lot of truth in a lot of these attacks. And this time there was, and Jefferson knew there had to be, he knew it was coming for him. So I find it really interesting how he responded to it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He should have known it was coming. Yeah, th- yeah, there was not a lot of foresight there. If he yeah. didn't. <laughs> like if he wasn't guilty, he'd probably not see it coming, but he was definitely guilty. And, uh, that's my other big rampage is people are like, oh, Sally loved him. Like, no, you can't you can't say that she loved him. She was enslaved. Like she had no choice. She had no free will. So you can't say that it was a loving relationship. Yeah. She and it was, no she was underage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah when no started, she, so. she may have passed on stories to her children that made her life seem a lot rosier than it was. And mm-hmm. that makes sense. You're probably not going to tell your children like the worst things that happened to you. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the, the idea that it was some romantic love story is, is, is pretty gross considering the power that he had over her. Oh, and yeah the just yeah the the hypocrisy of the guy who wrote that all men are created equal and and what he was actually doing and living and the lack of lifting a finger when it counted to do anything towards slavery so yeah um i think going back to what you fuck that guy yeah 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 my pin just exploded okay yeah i probably had enough of jefferson it's like stop talking about jefferson (laughs) yeah we talked about it in a mini I think in our last extra, the most like a huge majority of Americans didn't get the right to vote till like 1965. So this whole and some people are still fighting for it. Yeah, exactly. It's it's not a it's not a perfectly linear line of progression, and that's Mm -hmm. really depressing. Yeah, and I always say that I think that the not a single one of our founding fathers actually saw their vision come to light. All of them were lacking at some point in that. Our constitution has never quite been what they want it to be. And I, I, it needs an overkill. That's what 
like a redo. <laughs> said, right. Oh yeah. I still think that a lot of them would probably be shocked that we're still like using basically like version one. Right. You know? And so interpreting like, it in the way we are. It'd be I mean, like if Steve Jobs thing. came back and he was like, You're still you still have an iPhone three? Like what the fuck? Exactly. Yes. So, after a decade, a mutual friend and fellow signer of the Declaration of Independence, Benjamin Rush, he decided that he was going to go to each one of them and be like, hey, don't you miss that guy? You guys should start talking again. I don't know what he got out of it. Which He got a rush. He got a rush out of it. (laughs) Benjamin Rush was actually one of the fathers of the mental health care movement in the United States. I don't know if you guys know that, but... All um, I do know I'm that not he, sure I, they knew that he loved a good bloodletting. <laughs> I thought he yeah, did. You, if you were sick, he would bleed you. He brought the ideas of moral management to the U.S. So I wrote a little bit about him in my nice. Thesis. He was very anti-smoking too, if I recall. Yeah, he was a Quaker. They were anti a lot of things. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. like the yeah. life in general. <laughs> and then Dolly Madison was like, "I'm a Quaker, but I quit." <laughs> That's another story, though. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and he must have been very convincing because on January 1st, 1812, Adams sent a short note to Monticello, which I'm assuming is like, hey, Tommy Chubbs, how's it going? Miss you, dude. Hope everything's okay. And then TJ's all like, hey, Johnny, yeah, it's good to hear from you, buddy. It's been 10 years. How's life? And so for the next 14 years, he and Jefferson exchanged 158 letters. Wow. Wow. After a lot of rage <laughs> and a lot yeah. of name calling. Now they're like, Hey, let's talk about Chummy. this. Yeah. <laughs> and so by the summer of 1813, the two had gained some sort of level of trust. And then they started to really dig into all their grievances with each other. Mm. And that July Adams wrote, quote, you and I ought not to die before we have explained ourselves to each other. So then they started working through all their issues and they started being bros again kind of adorable and then they started talking about like really important things like the growing tensions between the north and south that eventually would lead to the civil war and yeah but jefferson was like oh man isn't slavery off could you refill this for me thank you (laughs) slavery's the worst that's that's the weirdest part is that they're talking about all this but they were very quiet about the issue of slavery Mm. they didn't really touch on the fact that tj had like hundreds of slaves Wow. Let's just pretend that doesn't happen. Yeah. Yeah, it's so interesting that, I mean, I thought they were a little bit more open and honest about their hypocrisies, at least. I thought they knew they were hypocrites. I thought, I mean, I would expect them to talk about it, but maybe not. I don't know. I mean, Jefferson wrote a lot of anti-slavery stuff, but it was, I mean, I don't think he necessarily wrote it to Adams because it's like, you know your audience. Because Adams would have been like, uh, okay. So, you gonna free them <laughs> no okay okay oh cool yeah yeah it's, it's terrible taking the the wolf by its ears yeah horrible horrible you're right yeah yeah because adams didn't have any enslaved people here no. finding free slaves so you think it would come up at least from him being like i can do it you can do it too let's, right. let's, let's do that let's i think it was it. probably just like if they were going to have a relationship unfortunately that was probably one of the things that was best left unsaid because they both knew yeah it was probably hanging over everything yeah mm. And even after Adam's beloved Abigail died in 1818, the two, they kind of grew old together and they were writing to each other. And Thomas wrote one time, 
quote, crippled wrists and fingers make writing slow and laborious, but while writing to you, I lose all sense of these things in recollection of ancient times when youth and health made happiness out of everything. Oh, he was a charmer. He was a charmer. So in the end, they had each other. (laughs) And then eventually Jefferson was suffering from an intestinal, intestinal disorder and he fell into a coma on the evening of July 3rd, 1826. And he kind of lingered in and out of semi-consciousness until just after mm-hmm. noon the next day. And that same morning, Adams collapsed in his reading chair, lapsing into unconsciousness around the same time Jefferson died. This gets wow. weird. Yeah. He woke up briefly around 5.30 that evening and uttered his last words, Thomas Jefferson survives, or he still lives. It's up in the air. People say, oh. <laughs> So they both died on July 4th, 1826, the 50th anniversary of the signing of the Declaration of Independence. It's crazy. How do, how do you manage to die on the same day? <laughs> I have I some know. theories. They, they had a blood pack or something. <laughs> I don't know what went down in the letters we don't have, but <laughs> there's I mean, some kind of cult's choice. <laughs> I think there's like a 60% chance that a, 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 a tiny bit of euthanasia was probably involved with the people medicating them, getting them to that day, and getting them not past that day. But we don't know. Maybe it was some, some loving, divine, magical thing. Um, but I'm just thinking, like, they're like, it's the fourth. You made it. Here's your medicine. <laughs> that would make really? sense. If they were kind of coming in and out. Yeah, it's it would make quite a story too to have a newspaper with two dead presidents in it. Like, I feel right. so bad for Adams though. Like he just at every turn he got overshadowed by yeah. Washington, by Franklin. He couldn't even get his own day to die. Like <laughs> fuck Jefferson, right? <laughs> like he couldn't true. give Adams that. Like there were no Selfish articles asshole. that were like John Adams <laughs> dies because it was like Jefferson and Adams die, and that's why there's no Adams monument because. Like Jefferson, Madison, Monroe, 24 years in a row of Democratic Republicans talking <laughs> shit about John Adams dying on the same day as him to overshadow him. It's like it was like a coup as a cabal like against Adams. Like, yeah, that was that's why there's no Adams monument. I'm convinced because um, Jefferson and his Democratic cronies um, overshadowed his legacy. Also, because, I mean, he was probably kind of an asshole as president and really hard to work with. Yeah. Um, but, you know. Howard has a lot of feels about this yeah. particular topic. I got some feelings about the Adamses. <laughs> yeah, Adams had the Alien and Sedition Acts. It didn't go over very well. So, oh, yeah. you, Howard, you, you just opened a can of water. <laughs> no, no, no. You're right. Awful, <laughs> terrible. John Adams never vetoed a single bill, and he definitely should have. That's mm-hmm. something he should have vetoed. Do yeah. you know who? Do you know who he blamed for the Alien and Sedition Acts? No. Hamilton. Yeah, he said, oh, it was all Hamilton's fault. He's the one who wanted them through, which isn't really true, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> Hamilton was dead. Adams can write what he wants. It's true. He's a good scapegoat at that point. Right? That's fun. Founding <laughs> <laughs> fathers are fun to talk about. They are they just... Are, you can't so make many it of them, up. They hated each other, so many of them, and it's... Yeah. And today, the day that we're recording is actually Lafayette's birthday. Mm-hmm. And he might be the only man that all the founders agreed on that they loved. Like he was beloved by all of them. And I can't say that for anybody else. So, so to Lafayette. To Lafayette. Another drink. (laughs) Yeah, another drink. (laughs) 
I have a drink too free. Um, I only had a little sip left. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't really. I got a little. Okay. You have to share some with me. It's not. I need it's, some more. Where'd the bottle go? We can't find the bottle. Oh, I have the bottle. One of our kids probably took the butt. We should check on that. You put it here on my coffee table. but then I put it in the baby bottle. I didn't think you... Yeah. Uh... <laughs> oh, gosh. I really uh, have no idea where that bottle went. I had a guest a couple of themes ago, and she was like, beer wench, and somebody appeared. And I was like, how do you get one of those? Oh, my God. <laughs> That'd be amazing. <laughs> That's wow. my five-year-old daughter. She's been like our our go-to person. Hey, we have this two hundred foot driveway, and it's all downhill or uphill, depending on the direction. And so we send her to get our mail because <laughs> we're just like we can't go down that hill and up that hill again. Can you go get that package? Yeah, the- I'm sure it's for you. I'm sure it's for you. Go get that package. And she's like all the labor. She's five. It's it's too heavy. It's too heavy. And then I'm like, well, just do it slowly then. <laughs> <laughs> it works like 70% of the time. Yeah. Yeah. So, my my mom used to do that to me when I was a kid. She's like, when you have kids someday, you can make them do it. Like, that's just the circle of life. You know, I have kids. Yeah. When our daughter was like one and a half, the first time that she could understand, like, hey, bring me the remote and she could do it, was when the first time we saw like a return on investment of having children. And that's right. when things started to turn around when I'm like, okay. Maybe this was the right thing for us. <laughs> Bring me the remotes. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. <laughs> oh, man. I'm Otherwise, so the jury is still out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're still like, do we really want kids? I don't know. <laughs> My brother-in-law just posted. He had, his kids are both old enough now. They can like, work machinery. So one was mowing and the other was weed eating. Oh, and we're yeah. like, huh. It all makes sense, you know, yeah. in the founding father's that's, time. I mean, there were farms to, you know. Yeah, that's why you had to. 10 kids. Like, yeah. if you had 10 kids, you probably didn't have to do shit, you know? Yeah, you could just sit in there and write with your quill or, like, I don't know, read the Bible or whatever people did back then. And the kids could just work the farm and milk the cows and goats. <laughs> yeah. But nowadays, like, there's not, we don't have, like, land for the, the kids are just in the house. And you yeah. just have to, like, I would highly, them. would highly recommend waiting till COVID is over to, to have children if you can. Keep that baby in there. <laughs> I know. At least that would be my luck. <laughs> Who wants to do that in COVID? That'd be oh awful. Gosh, it's really hard right now, but yeah. Man. Well, thank you guys so much for joining me. This has been amazing. It has been. Thank you so much. This thank has you been for our having us. Yes, especially have, me, where I have no expertise at all. I'm just here for the fun and the wine. Uh, that's the best, though. <laughs> fun and the wine. So tell everybody how they can find you guys. Well, okay, you can go to plottingthroughthepresidents.com. Um, you can also look at our Facebook page, Plotting Through the Presidents. That's what I update most, probably daily updates about things that happened on this day in history, often related to the current day. So Facebook... Uh, the website, and then on Apple, Spotify, um, any place fine podcasts are streamed, you can find Plotting Through the Presidents. <laughs> we have one season out, and we're gearing up to start our second season probably next month, as soon as I can get the research done and write and find <laughs> the time through COVID when we're working parents with Zooms for me and her and the kindergartner. And, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a bundle of fun. Um, so yeah, look for that. <laughs> 
Yeah, I definitely recommend it. Yeah, Howard's been writing the next season, so tune in for that. And we will be back in my parents' closet, you know, recording that any day now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what, what should we expect for season? Season two? Season yeah, two? season two. Uh, you can expect more uh, scandals, uh, a little bit of death, maybe a lot of death. Like this season, oh, yeah. I don't know if it's COVID, but a lot of the, <laughs> the episodes are... they're they're. They're turning out to be a little morbid, so I'm going to try to make them a little more fun. We'll see what happens. <laughs> um, but yeah, just more stories about the early American presidents and other lesser-known founding fathers that had ridiculous lives and deaths. Oh, see, I'm really glad you asked that, because anytime I ask that, he's like typing away at the community. I'm like, so what's this season about? Because, you know, I'm kept in the dark until the day of. Yeah, I don't want her to know the story ahead of time, so, so I'll get booked in the mail, anything. and she'll be like, what book is that? And I'll be like, don't you worry about it. <laughs> Uh, me in the dark. Yeah, I'm excited. You sold me. Awesome. And I know you've got you have Jerry Landry coming up from the Presidency's podcast. Yeah. Are you doing he's awesome? I love him. He's such a sweet man and um he's so like giving and his knowledge. So if you haven't interviewed him yet, uh, you're in for a treat. He's a great guy. Yeah, he's gonna be next week. So he'll be part two and he has morbid. So oh awesome. Ooh. I can't wait for that. Yeah, I'm excited too. <laughs> We definitely listen to that one. Yeah, I'm really excited to hear about it. I, I love a good morbid story. Oh, he's yeah. really funny. He's like, can't decide. There's so much morbid stuff. I'm like, I know, right? right? Yeah. <laughs> Basically, like, morbid. yeah. If you were a president or anybody back in the day, like every day would be like, oh, a lot of people died. <laughs> yeah. It's like morbid was like day to day. Your day to day life. Yeah, this has been amazing. All right, we'll see you guys later. All right, Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. I want to thank Plotting Through the Presidents again for joining me. I had such an amazing time. And definitely go check them out. They're on all major podcasting platforms. And if you want to watch this live and comment along, join Patreon. That's patreon.com slash historical AF pod. And again, we need your stories. So for September's extra, we want extra spooky. So that's historical AF pod at gmail.com. That can be a ghost story or a spooky you know, urban legend in your hometown, just send us whichever you got. And follow the podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Historical AF Pod. And join us next week. I'll be President's Part 2 with the Presidency's Podcast. All right, we'll see you next week. Okay, bye!